Have you ever wondered what God first thought when He first thought about your life? Okay, let me ask you another question. Do you believe that you are living that life that God intended for you to live? Today on A Jolt of Joy, we're going to search for a biblical response to both of those questions. I'm Bible teacher and author Carol McLeod, and I'm your host on A Jolt of Joy that airs weekly on the Charisma Podcast Network. Our current series is titled Vibrant. If you've never listened to a Jolt of Joy podcast before today, I can tell you this, it's a Bible-rich podcast. We go digging for gold on the sacred pages of Scripture. So what does the Bible say about the plans that God has for your life? Let's read from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and I'm going to read this to you today from the Amplified Version of the Bible. For we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which He prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which He prearranged and made ready for us to live." So there you go. There you have it from Paul, the writer of Ephesians. You were made by God. Your life is not your own. God thought you up. He created you and placed you here at this moment in history. And the reason he created you was to do good works, not works of the flesh or works stimulated by your emotions. The good works that he has prepared for you to do are engineered by the Holy Spirit. He needed someone just like you alive at this moment in history to love the unlovable, to be constantly patient with frustrating people, and to be kind even when you've been treated unkindly. That's your job. That is why you're here. Well, because God needed you, He created you to reveal His heart. There was a lack of Godness on planet Earth, and so He sent you and he sent me, who were created in his image. We are his exact representation in the world today. Now, we're not God, but we're created just to be like him. The problem is this. We would rather emote a selfish perspective on life than exhibit delightful and delicious fruit that the Holy Spirit has given to us. We were created to reveal the nature of God which is found in the fruits of the Spirit, but instead we have morphed into an emotional counterfeit of all that He created us to be. The truth is, my friend, now lean in and listen, you can have as much of God as you want. So how much do you want? How much do you want of God? God has placed no limits on our ability to tap into His nature, His presence, and His closeness. Listen, you can hardly encounter a Bible character who is not faced with this same question. How much of God do you want? Esther had to answer that question when she was faced with a murderous madman who was threatening to slaughter her entire people group. Esther called a fast because she wanted more of God and his power. How about you? Will you call a fast? Esther was not content to live by to live a life dictated by her culture, by the instability of a political system gone awry, or by someone's brutality. Um, so she called a fast. 
She wasn't intimidated by the fear factor of the day. She wanted more of God. So let me ask you again, how much of God do you want? Um, Then there was Jonah. Do you remember the story of Jonah? A man who ran from God in utter and complete rebellion, and God captured his attention while camping out in the belly of a great fish. Um, Jonah, I often say, called uncle, and maybe he called father, and he admitted he needed more of God. These are the words of Jonah from Jonah chapter 2, verse 9. Jonah said, but I'll sacrifice to you, O Lord, with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Now, so Jonah in the belly of a whale, had joined the mighty and eternal choir of voices who have been willing to die to self, to die to preference, to die to selfishness, to human desire, and to live for God's purposes alone. Jonah wanted more of God. He was desperate for him. He cried out to him. Again, let me ask you today, you who are living in the 21st century, how much of God do you want? Our first verse that we read today, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, tells us that we were created in Christ Jesus. We don't just act like him. We're dressed up in him. We're covered completely in him. We're hidden in all that he is. When people see us, they shouldn't see us. They should see the Christ that surrounds us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 tells us the exact same thing. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So this word hidden is the Greek word crypto. And can I just tell you something? You're not going to like this word, but this is what it means. To escape noticed, to be concealed, to conceal that it may not become known. So what we think, what we think we deserve, our opinions, our preferences have been hidden with Christ in God. We are hidden to such an extent that, that people, what, what they should see is they should see Jesus. That's what they should see when they look at you and me. When people meet you, they should say, it's incredible. When I'm with him, when I'm with her, all I can think about is Jesus. That's what people should say. They shouldn't say, boy, does she have a chip on her shoulder. They shouldn't say, boy, does he have a problem with anger. They, they shouldn't say, boy, does she talk a lot. No, they, they, they should say, boy, when I'm with that person, it makes me think about Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Oh my, this is a wow verse, that this verse, Acts 4.13, would be the testimony of my life, that they would recognize me as having been with Jesus, because my life is hidden in him. Now, Psalm 119, verse 109, is a very interesting verse to me. I've meditated on it many, many times. This is what it says. My life is continually in my hand. What? Stop. 
I thought my life was in God's hands. Well, it is, but it also isn't. (laughs) This verse is a continual wake-up call for me. This verse is my alarm clock. God has given me the power of choice, and I choose what emotions I will exhibit in any given situation because my life is continually in my hands. I'm not a victim of my emotions. I'm not enslaved to my circumstances. I'm not enslaved to past pain or abuse or rejection. I choose what heart attitudes I will embrace. And as women of faith, as men of faith, we need to take responsibility, own up to our own emotional choices in life. They're not somebody else's fault or blame, no matter how you've been treated or rejected or abused. Um, And the reason this is, two reasons. Your life is continually in your hands, not an ex-husband's, not a teacher, not a parent, not your children. It's in your hands. Reason number two is you can have as much of God as you want. That's the real reason. Um, You can have as much of God as you want in every emotional event in life. Your emotional responses to life are in your hands. You know, I have blown it so often emotionally, have you? And there's no one to blame but me. I can't blame my parents, my husband, my kids, politicians, the media, my friends, teachers, my neighbors, but I still have blown it emotionally so many times. So when I'm at this place, realizing who I am and who I am not, I realize I need a power beyond myself to live a vibrant life. I need a power beyond myself to do good works, the good works that I've been created to accomplish because I can't do them on my own or in my own strength. You and I will only be the person that we are created to be from the beginning of time when we receive that extra dose of power. You see, God knew that we couldn't do it on our own. And so he said, I'm going to give them the power to do it. We need power to live beyond ourselves. We need power to propel ourselves out of our emotional pain. We need power to impact the world around us. And there's one power source that has the strength that you and I need to overcome our human frailty And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power that we need. Have you tapped into it lately? Let's read what the Bible says about this particular power that we've been given. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the uttermost, the remotest part of the earth. So there are two distinct phrases in this scripture that are life-altering and that will set you into your destiny emotionally, spiritually, and with the actions that you exhibit. The first phrase is this, you shall receive power. You know what? Oh, this is such good news for us. We don't have to slug through life on our own strength. We don't have to be content with generational baggage or emotional sewage. We can receive power over our emotions, over our mistakes, over our sin nature when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. 
The second incredible phrase in this verse from Acts chapter 1 is, and you shall be my witnesses. See, the power of the Holy Spirit enables you to become someone you could never be on your own. The power of the Holy Spirit enables you to be witnesses of His glory and of His plan. Jesus knew it. He knew it. There's nothing to be ashamed of. He knew that we would never be able to live an abundant life on planet Earth without the power of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive and you shall be. When you receive the power that the Holy Spirit was designed to give you, you will become the woman that Christ wants you to be. Now, part of this powerful process might also involve waiting. It's true. Power often involves waiting. It does. Let me read you a verse from Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you've heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You know, I believe the reason that so many of us um, exhibit out-of-control emotions is because we no longer wait for the power that God longs to give to us that was always meant to be ours. Um, Waiting takes discipline, does it not? People can't wait for marriage to enjoy the benefits thereof, and so they proceed with their own passions and desires. Your flesh hates to wait. Your flesh is not good at waiting. Your flesh loves to demand and dictate and have instant gratification. Do you know what the favorite word of your flesh is? Now. Now is the favorite word of your flesh. Say it now. Feel it now. Buy it now. Have it now. Do it now. But often when your flesh says now, God says no, no, no. So what were these disciples doing while they waited for the power of the Holy Spirit. See, merely waiting does not do the complete work when it comes to dealing with your emotions and your passions and desires. You must take the frustration out of the waiting process by adding something else to your emotional equation. These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with all the women. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. I don't have any magic answers for your issues, but I can give you some insight into the Word of God. If you want power to overcome, if you want the power to be who God really wants you to be, you will ask for the power, and you will wait for the power, and you will continually devote yourself to prayer. Prayer not only gets heaven's attention, but prayer changes the one who needs changing. Prayer changes the one who is praying. Prayer changes me. I am a better person when I pray. You like me better when I pray. My family likes me better when I pray. When I pray, I make better decisions, and I'm a nicer, kinder, gentler version of myself. When Craig and I were expecting our first child, we attended the requisite childbirth classes. And at that time, I like to say they were taught by a hippie nurse, Mother Nature herself. Um, She refused to allow any of us 
to use the word pain when we were talking about the childbirth process. Instead, we could only use the politically correct, maybe it's the medically correct word, contractions. And I naively thought, contractions, piece of cake. I can do that. I can do contractions. And um, I had to be induced with our first child because he was past his due date. And the contractions started slowly. I even wrote maternal ponderings in a beautiful flowered journal that I had bought for that very purpose. I fixed my lipstick every half hour or so because I wanted to look smashing in those postpartum pictures. And after about three to four hours of insignificant gentle progress contractions, my doctor, who was our friend and he went to our church, he walked into the room held my hand. We loved this man. He had guided me through heartburn and leg cramps and backache and bloating and nausea. And he decided it was time to break my water. Well, how painful can that be, right? Well, I was instantly engulfed in red, hot, searing pain. That doctor was no longer my friend. Who in the world did he think that he was treating me like that? I threw my journal at his retreating back as he walked out of the door, and I threw my lipstick at my husband, who was responsible for all of this. Not kidding. I really didn't do that, but I felt like it. I screamed at my husband. I, I did scream at my husband. These are not contractions. This is pain. Mother Goose lied to me. I really did say that. I promise I did. Um, after about three or four hours of this perpetual hot pain, I looked at my nurse. I grabbed her by, I really did. I grabbed her by her uniform. And I said, when I am not in labor, I am a very nice person. I promise. Well, then they gave me an epidural. Ah. Oh, and I returned to my normal sweet self. I was smiling. I was talking. I was being kind to my husband. I smiled after every push. I giggled at my doctor's jokes. Um, I looked at my husband with love in my eyes again. You know what? God has made a way for you to be a nice, kind person, even in the most painful moments of life. It's called the epidural miracle cure of prayer. Continuously devoting yourself to prayer. Your emotions, they're strong and relentless. They are red hot and searing. But if you will choose, because your life is in your hands, to devote yourself to prayer, you'll find relief from the onslaught of life's most painful experiences. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. You know, there's a strengthening process that happens while you wait. Just as lifting weight strengthens your arms, your chest, your legs, waiting strengthens your soul. Just as doing sit-ups strengthens your abdominal muscles, praying and waiting strengthens you from the inside out. You know, we mistakenly believe that eating something or buying something or saying something will make us stronger, but that's a lie. That's not true. We're so anxious to speak our minds and have our way and fix things and get our point across that we do the wrong thing. Let me challenge you, my friends. Next time you feel impatient, wait to talk about it. Next time you're angry and have to tell somebody how you feel, wait to say it. 
maybe it'd be a good habit to develop that before you ever speak in impatience or anger again, before you ever tell anyone off or demand your own way, before you ever speak anything potentially harmful, write it down, pray over it. That's waiting and praying. And while we wait, our hearts go from being weak to being filled with Jesus. Our hearts go from being filled with self to being strong and being covered by him. You need the power of the Holy Spirit, and so do I, to cultivate the virtue of waiting. And we need to drug ourselves with the miracle cure of prayer. You know, whenever I feel the seeds of impatience welling up inside of me, I pray, Jesus, take control of me. I don't have this. Jesus, I need you. Help me to love beyond my human capacity. Jesus, remind me that I don't always need to get my own way on my timetable. You know, there's something about a human being that demands prayer in order to be like Jesus. I can't be like him unless I spend time with him and let him rub off on me. Otherwise, I'm acting like him, winning an Academy Award. And the goal is not to act like him. It is to be like him. Acting like him is smiling sweetly while your heart is cursing. Acting like him is saying the right words, but thinking the wrong things. Seeing smoke come out of your ears. Jesus doesn't want me to act like him. He wants me to be like him in the depth of my soul. Jesus wants to be Lord of my emotions and my thoughts. And this only happens when I continually devote myself to prayer. When I ask for the power of the Holy Spirit when I wait on the Lord. Well, thank you for joining me today on A Jolt of Joy. This series that we're studying weekly for the next few weeks is titled Vibrant, and it's taken from my book by the same name. You can order your copy of Vibrant at amazon.com, christianbook.com, shoptheword.com, or at my website, which is carolmcleodministries.com. I love to pray for the people who are in contact. So please feel free to email me at carol at carolmccloudministries.com. I have an entire team of intercessors who will pray over your prayer request. And I want to remind you today, my friend, that when you choose Jesus, you're choosing the joy of His presence. His will for your life is an inexpressible and relentless joy. Don't ever doubt it. I'll see you next time on A Jolt of Joy.